0: Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions, and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our mix club page or listen live at
1: sohoradio.london.com. Is my nose is so Well that's the uh, wonderful piece called How Are You, Uh, one of the five short choral works for eight amplified voices that Nathan James did and has contributed to this album. So Nathan, hello.
0: Hi Max, thanks for inviting me
1: on. Oh it's a pleasure. Um, And uh, so um, how come you are a choral composer?
0: How come I'm a choral composer? Yeah, well, I mean, where
1: where did where did the whole zeal and zeitgeist come to you from?
0: Mm, well, uh, I mean, you might be able to tell from my uh lilting Welsh tones. Um but I'm from South Wales originally and uh choral singing and uh, and singing in generally was just was just part of of my upbringing from a really young age from probably 3 or 4. Um sung in choirs ever since, was in the National Youth Choir of Wales, uh, sung with lots of youth choirs in you know, my local town, my local county, and then um, studied in Cardiff uh, for my undergrad and master's and had the amazing opportunity as well to sing with the BBC National Chorus of Wales. So it's always been there singing, um, and I suppose it was just from, you know, the singers next to me, friends and colleagues just going oh, you know, we need an arrangement or something, or could you possibly create something new? We've got, you know, three minutes to fill in a concert. And it sort of started from
1: there, really. So are you saying it's kind of like osmosis, <laughs> that, you know, there's a singing community and you're part of it and it just rubs off on you? Or, or in fact, are there people in your family who are also singers and writers and musicians? oh yeah no I, i'm a sort
0: of an oddity in my family in that i am uh i am the only musician really um although my mother would would say that she you know sung in a choir when she was in primary school and she's an alto um but hasn't you know sung a note since um but i it, it came from finding a safe place um as as a as a, a, a gay man gay queer man from from south wales i I, w- I need to find a safe space or a place that I could feel at home, and one of those places was was the practice room, was was in in rehearsals, was singing with people, and it stemmed from there really. So I suppose osmosis, but I mean, really, I've definitely worked goddamn hard <laughs> to make sure I can write a decent tune or uh, try and figure out how to actually write music because it didn't come naturally. I wasn't no uh, no child genius um, at all. <laughs>
1: Um you have uh, actually uh written that this piece uh, how are you or that yeah um is after Ella Rainbird early um mm. we'll discuss who she might be in a moment but um mm. but w- what would you say your influences for writing choral music might be
0: I think it's more generally really as 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 a music creator I comes from all sorts of places but primarily from the world around us and more sort of non-musical stuff influences me um whether that's shared experiences or lived experiences uh and and what music or art can be created from that or in the face of that um in terms of you know things i listen to all sorts i Absolutely love you know early baroque or French baroque uh, right up to things that Caroline Shaw's doing in America and Ted Hearn. Um There's 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 a whole gamut of stuff really that influences me. But yeah, I think from from a starting point place, it all comes from from lived experiences and yeah, using music as a form of sort of social commentary.
1: Yeah, and I, I can I can hear that Caroline Shaw sort of American minimalist choral uh, composers in there Um, you know it it, it's it's a beautifully crafted piece uh, I have to say now (laughs) and now um, here's the question uh, as to who uh, who is Ella Rainbird early pardon my ignorance (laughs)
0: so ella um is actually one of the altos who was singing in that track oh, and she I is i should have clocked that. Enough. of the <laughs> yeah, we, I noticed she, you, you said the names earlier right? yeah Chosen we've already
1: two. given her a shout <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah don't right. give too much uh,
0: spotlight no but she <laughs> yeah she, the words are all, uh, all from her actually and and from um a short 60-second video that she submitted to me of her, a time that she had in Sweden. I just jotted down all of the experiences and the words that were uttered in that little video and and came up with this text, taking it out of that context and seeing where it took us, really.
1: So, So she sent you this thing, it was the worst thing in my life. Her <laughs> life or your life? Well...
0: Uh, I think there is a level of artistic license here. All of the words are her words and they were in that video, but they're totally ripped out of context. I, I wrote them all on a page and I just thought how profound some of these sentences were when actually in the moment in that video, they might have just been said in jest Um like throwing I think it was the worst thing in my life is when somebody had some leftover hot chocolate that they had to get rid of because they couldn't finish it. Um, and the lights are flashing were actually referring to crossing the street and the nose is so cold that was got a temperature around them. But I thought putting these these seemingly mundane sentences next to each other gave a totally new context and, and actually a really profound one.
1: Yeah, well it's an it's an interesting way of writing. I mean it it's a little like cut up you know the um william burroughs method mm-hmm. uh, that david bowie also used uh, amongst yeah. others um so that you sort of find so it's, it's like found words isn't it found mm. speech and then you turn that into your piece uh, are all the pieces constructed with found words or found speech
0: yeah so the the project more more broadly it was this collaboration with national youth choirs was started off asking all of the singers involved if they were sort of virtual memories i realized well for ages actually i had no idea what to write for them um i was feeling pretty gutted about it and it was the first first lockdown lockdown number one as people are calling it and I said, well, we're all being quite introspective now. We're having to be as humans looking inwards and and, uh, and, and f- sort of delving into who we are and what our purpose is on this planet more profoundly. And I said, well, let's, let's go down that avenue a little bit and, and look at our past and maybe, you know, old social media posts or blogs to even you know, old home movies and what makes us who we are today, and let's see if we can try and create music from them. So all of the five little short call works are based on a singer's experience.
1: Ah, oh, yeah. So they're all, they're all actually... Um, you actually name each singer each time. Now, mm. now I get it. Of course, I could have got it just by putting two and two together, but <laughs> it's not my job. <laughs> no 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay um so um let us uh move on so uh this is this is uh number two which seems to be called norm and yeah. uh miette rich is that how i say her, their name? the name yeah um and uh she's definitely, is it a she she's what sorry Oh, sorry that i was just checking that it was a she um so, yeah. so 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 she's actually picked up with what i think that at one point the current chancellor of the exchequer was uh and a wisdom he was imparting that if you're in the arts you needed to forget about all that and go and get a real job mm, yeah this is a a
0: really personal one i mean all really personal, but this one as well because it was Sort of this cross-generational peer pressure <laughs> that we all experience, not, irrespective of our age. Um, but there was something that she was writing about with millennials, and and the, going behind the scenes of of the pressures through social media and just in in our working days. Um, and some of the words in there just really hit. <laughs> it's, it's a few a few chords with me uh, about getting a real job, and working harder, and constant pressures that all of these these pressures that we all face, as I said, irrespective of our age, they sort of blur who we even are and, and being able to understand who we are. And I just thought that was there's uh, some great profound beauty in, in her writing.
1: I think I could hear the emotion behind that. Um, Mm. And uh, how did the singers respond? I mean, was everyone really angry about this? (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, no scores were flying across the rehearsal room. Uh, Well, I suppose we weren't in a rehearsal room for a long, long time, so that's good. I was hidden behind my screen in my house. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean... God, they're so good. I mean, every time that I have the opportunity to listen to that, it's just something, it's like a sucker punch. And they, yeah, they were just so fantastic to work with. And they just, every every one of these little movements, it's all, as I said, all inspired by their lived experience. So it came from a personal place for them as well, often with composers and music creators, and you and you bring a work to you know, performers, musicians, ensemble, uh, it's often your own experience that you're bringing into the room. But this was so personal that I was able to work with their experiences that it did become really emotive um, and they could really get their their, their fingers and nails deep into the music and and gain a different perspective on it.
1: Um, And it was breathtaking that those things were said. And because... You know, across the board at the moment, um, Mm. people who charge us money for their services, um, Mm. uh, like, say, electricity companies, are putting up their prices. Um, And yet everyone around us, their money hasn't gone up. So (laughs) how does that make sense? You know, so Mm. and and like, you know, if you're going to talk about wasted labor, this Mm. whole business of, Buying and selling your way into contracts for power companies—I mean, what a lot of nonsense! I know people are making a living out of it, and making a living is good. But mm. how come artists get kicked, and not people who are, you know, um, scrounging others? <laughs> yeah, I
0: got. I mean, I've, i have i have counted myself lucky. If I was—if I was religious, I'd probably say I've been counting my blessings that I. I've been lucky to have these sort of these collaborations this year to have a creative outlet and a bit of an anchoring point, but I've got really close friends who, you know, pre pandemic were really established artists who are singing with some of the world's leading ensembles and making a really good living from it. And they're now leaving the industry. And it absolutely tears my heart that I'm having conversations on a week to week basis that that reality, it is felt and it's on the doorstep and it's, even in my own family, having people who have been in industries for decades and they're no longer in those industries. It's just, it. well, it's like putting out another fire every single day at the moment.
1: Yeah, and there's a sort of pretense that um, nothing has changed, whereas, in mm-hmm. fact, kind of everything has changed. Uh, I'm almost yeah. tempted to quote Yates, yeah, Terrible Beauty is Born, but anyway... Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, here's another question for you about your oeuvre um, and that, <laughs> and that is this, um, so do you only write, uh, choral works or, um, you know, are you a wizard at the string quartet as well?
0: <laughs> I don't think I'm a wizard at anything. I suppose, uh, you could be the judge of that, but I, yeah, I mean, I write all sorts of music, um. For a few years, I didn't write any choral music, actually, because I was taken up writing works for orchestra. I was lucky enough to be able to work with the London Philharmonic Orchestra for a year and was commissioned for an orchestral piece for them and then followed up with a brass piece. I've done collaborations with flautist Carla Rees on some installation and exhibition works. Uh, I've done community projects. I've done more obscure works like uh, installation works uh, speaker works in the pyrenees um with members of the community singing random lines down a microphone and me distorting them and creating a sort of surround soundscape um so it's not just core works but it it, it does it is uh it is a habit um of mine to keep coming back to i suppose just with that lived experience of being a singer uh, and having so many singing friends, um, I do come back to choral music and and the intimacy that can be created from that, and the the visceral imagery that we can can be created from choral vocal music. Yeah, it does seem to yeah keep coming back time and time again.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, and and actually, you know, kind of what we heard on the last piece is like you're sort of a a sculptor with it because. Um, it felt like they were singing shapes, Uh, not shape singing, but singing shapes. Um, Do you you know what I mean? Like how else could you describe those kind of spirals of vocals that uh, the the kind of protesting bit, really?
0: Well, it's really beautiful. I'm going to, I'm going to quote that on my website. (laughs) If you don't mind, that's a good line to have. Um, I, I, um, yeah, it's interesting you say that with being a sculptor because I am quite visual and tactile when I'm creating music and I was actually only talking to a really good friend of mine the other day about I I always step back from a score or from a piece, however that might be written down, and, and look at the landscape and look at the architecture of the piece to look for silences and how busy the page is and whether that speaks to the content or the text itself or to what I want to say or what the performers even want to say in some cases. And yeah, that, that rings true. That idea of, of the visual and creating shapes in my piece. Um, yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that.
1: Well, um, let's listen to another one and then let's see how much we can find out about how you sit and write these things. Um, but anyway, um, This is, uh, this was mine. Uh, And again, you seem to have got the words off Ella Rainbird early. She'll be hitting, you know, for the, um, (laughs) for some of the PRS. No, she will. Yes, she will. You watch. Um, Okay. So um, this is it. Well, that's a very haunting piece. This was mine. Uh, It's the third of the five short choral works for eight amplified voices, morals and interludes by Nathan James Dearden. And we're speaking to Nathan now. Um, So, although that sounds planet-wide and cataclysmic and apocalyptic, beautifully so, um, really, really powerful, um, in fact, it's about the creation of a reservoir.
0: Yeah, it was, it stemmed from another little video, as you said, from Ella, as she was walking up a a street of terraced houses and she stopped and directed, you know, the lens towards two homes and just saying, this was mine. This was my house, which happens to also be next door to another of the singers, small world, James Botcher, one of the tenors. And so it's sort of their shared experience really. And, I just thought there was such a simple beauty and also a nostalgia about that image of these two houses and and thinking about where you came from revisiting your old stomping ground and at the time i was reading of poetry and thinking about poetry from wales from you know from my home country and one thing stuck out for me and that was rs thomas's reservoirs and I published, I think, in the late 60s, and it was all around the opening of St. Kellen, Lake Kelen Reservoir. Um, and the tragedy behind that story is that the reservoir was created by flooding Capel Kelen, which was a rural community in Bala, North Wales, in the Avon Trawden Valley. And it's such a tragedy that is part of of Welsh history. Uh, and recent Welsh history, I think the flooding was only in the 60s and the poem was written just a few years later. And the idea of home and what home is for us really struck a chord. So I thought, let's let's run with that.
1: Well, it, it, it has all kinds of echoes in this time when, you know, our very existence on the planet is clearly threatened and we're all talking about it and singing about it, writing about it making videos about it um it very very powerful piece I, I kind of like the way that you've um stripped down the vocals really that seems that it, it feels very kind of forthright and haunting at mm. the same time um,
0: mm, thanks yeah i think it was i think what i wanted there was was an earnestness and a and an immediacy in in that piece so there's yeah lots of lots of and and more forthright exclamations um, and yeah again the singers God, just yeah transformative
1: Um, So uh, when you are writing choral music how do you go about it? <laughs> well what, what, uh... I mean you know, I'm, I'm sort of interested I mean Joe says um, mm. that he um, spends time singing as well as um, notating and I just wondered um, how you came upon it? I mean, given that you're a singer anyway, I mean, I kind of want somebody to say, but I don't think anybody who's going to say this. Oh yes, well, I I get my logic out, or whichever soft software they're using, and um, and I play, I sing all the parts.
0: Mm. Well, I ha- I have done something like that before. Um, I certainly did that for the piece I did actually in the Pyrenees in France, and. And, and and create sort of a multi-track version of an idea that I wanted, and then try and replicate that through using other other people, other other performers. Um, usually, it's it's a mixture of things. It's a mixture of of sounds I know work really well, like like connective sounds within grouped voices. that I really enjoy, and I love, and a lot of choirs. Uh, always comment on this my music perhaps both positively and negatively but i love a higher tenor and a lower alto and that that really lovely middle sound i create that and actually i think most of these pieces does that um because i loved exploiting the lower range of the altos in the nationalist choirs and then the higher ranges of our tenors um and also yeah singing things through little riffs and because I, i i know a little of the of 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 call music and the history of call music and having performed a lot of it myself, it's coming back to those experiences and those melodies and those movements of Huda that I used to love singing or coming back to some really tight close harmonies of jazz from my study days and and thinking where I can go from there and and then mapping it out on a page. Um I suppose, yeah, I suppose that's that's the answer to that.
1: But this one um, is uh, very short. Uh, Mm. (laughs) The shortest piece today, actually, clocking in, I think, 57 seconds. Um, (laughs) And and it's about staying away from clocks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I said I, I did a little blog on this piece and I said, well, every every song cycle has to have a fun one, right? And, <laughs> and this was it. Because um, I realised that a lot of the music that I was writing for, for this project, for this collaboration, was, was quite serious and quite profound. And And I suppose there is something underlying here. There's an undercurrent. And it was during lockdown. I just took my watch off and turned away from all my clocks because i loved that feeling of freedom that i wasn't bound by time uh and again it was picked up by millet in one of her blogs about sort of tongue-in-cheek of how to be a master procrastinator uh and one of the lines was yeah stay away from timekeeping devices
1: yes well we're in their thrall on the radio but here it comes (laughs) I think I want it to go on longer, that's the only thing. <laughs> um, but anyway, I do try and stay away from clocks, and most of the time I succeed, except when I'm on the radio. <laughs> um, and actually, I mean, the fact that you don't have to catch trains, planes, buses, or any of that, um, and there aren't that many meetings in a week, and if there are... You just got to go and sit in a chair in front of your computer. That has kind of taken the element of time out of our lives as a pressure. Maybe it's a different mm. sort of pressure now.
0: It's. Yeah, I think it might have even heightened it. I was chatting to a colleague of mine recently who has said, "How come I'm still late for meetings and all I have to do is walk two steps to the desk in my bedroom?"
1: <laughs> well, I I think that's kind of I don't know. It's a lockdown fever. I I I know I read somewhere that um, there's a famous actress who gets up in the morning at half past six. She's really not used to being unemployed and she writes a list of things she's going to do through the day and when she goes to bed at, I don't know, 11.30 at night, she looks at the list and finds that she hasn't done any of those things. <laughs> I, I recognise that in my behaviour. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, let us move on. So um, this next piece has got a lot of withouts in it, and so you've called it Without, um, and then you've referenced Aristotle, um, Mm. who I don't think is one of the singers on this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just a guest appearance.
1: (laughs) Well, nice way to do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he yeah, cost an arm and a leg. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. The, it, it, I mean, they they were all written in sequence. Really, how I, How are you was the first one that was written, and it's the first one of the series. And with without was the last one I wrote, and it was the last one of the series. And it was when I was on residency at the Red House in Albury, actually, as part of this a collaboration, this scheme with Nashville's Choirs, and in partnership with the Britain Piers Arts and Red House in the old home of uh, composer benjamin Britten and his partner peter Pears, and one of the um one of the singers baritone lawrence padfield just dropped me a message and i was actually struggling because i couldn't think of another one and i kind of thought five might have been a nice nice number to create for this series and he just sent me a few images of him walking up a mountain with his family and explained that he has a humongous family of a around 100 cousins he quoted to me so it's a massive family and they would just go wandering around welsh mountains and they're all different characters all have different loves different heights different sizes different passions i thought wow how amazing is that and and i was thinking about what we would do without family in these times and how much they do mean to us and how much we must treasure the the loves that we have around us and even if it's, you know, blood family or found family, um, how important that is for our, our mental well-being and mental health and, and just surviving really in these times. And I just sort of did a bit of research into what family meant throughout history and stumbled across Aristotle's Treatise on Government, uh, translated obviously not, in, <laughs> I can't read ancient Greek, but um, and there's one line in there without society, without law, without family, such a one must naturally be of a quarrelsome disposition and as solitary as the birds. And I just thought, oh, it's just such a gorgeous little phrase. Um, I, I mean, I partially disagree with Aristotle because maybe the freedoms that birds have is something that we all desire or want, really. But just thought that really struck a chord.
1: Well, as as Bob Dylan said, are birds free of the chains of the skyways? And uh, but <laughs> never mind that. Um, <laughs> when I saw that line, "We are as solitary as the birds," I was thinking I I live really on a park, which then turns into kind of countryside. And uh, but there's a there's a boating pond and ducks and geese and things like that, creatures mm. like that, even swans congregate um, on that and the lake that's nearby. And but there's one bird who I think is an Egyptian goose who I think lost its mate. And the thing about Egyptian geese are that they only mate, you know, they stay with one other goose for life. Mm. And if that goose dies, then they're solitary. And you can see that goose, it stays around at dusk and kind of patrols the lake on its own solitary orbit. And, um, And so although you think, yeah, birds flock and birds have partners and birds eggs and all those things Mm -hmm. that they do together that that goose actually is a major symbol to me uh not that i'm a solitary but you know i just wonder how it does it
0: yeah that's really beautiful i i live near um, the thames and fortunate to be able to you know take my state sanctioned walk down there every now and again and and it always just breaks my little heart <laughs> when I see just you know flocks of swans together, and and then there's just one little one little bird on its own. And actually, funny you should say that. It's usually an Egyptian geese. Um, yeah.
1: Well, perhaps perhaps we've got it wrong about Egyptian geese, and perhaps they don't mate for life. They just mm. mate and then they go off on their own. That's interesting yeah. too. <laughs> Rebel without
0: a cause. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Anyway, I think we ought to hear without, don't you?
0: Yeah. Without
1: Without 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 Without
0: Without without hope, without connection.
1: Wow, it almost breaks into overtone singing there. That's uh, Without, after Aristotle and after Lawrence Padfield, um, and it's by my guest, uh, my current guest, I should say. Um, who's Mason James Dearden? It's the final of five short choral works for eight amplified voices. That is his work, "Morals and Interludes." Um, th- so th- those were two contrasting settings of the words. I thought that I thought the first one was very, um, you know, the first half was very. Uh, well, we've already referenced Caroline Shaw, but also David Lang. Um, you know, so the American, what I call, minimalist choral writers, but perhaps they're not all that minimal, they're just very uh, contemporary. And um, <laughs> But then you turned it into much more of a motet, and that's one of the things that I have about all four of you on who are the composers of this album, and now I'm thinking, yeah, there are four of you. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that there is a love of the motet. It kind of gives you a freedom. Um, and it, it must be quite difficult to write that way because it just sounds so free. Or, or perhaps it's notated in a way which allows singers to take various courses through it. I don't know. I mean, how, how does the notation of the first half, which must be very precise, and the second half, which might be precise, but do they vary? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting point
0: because I work with that quite a lot with with vocalists, that idea of, of struct meter or something that's really strictly notated and then something that's really free. Um, interestingly, that whole without was written um, quite strictly, really, um, but I was just obsessed with the idea of having something quite restrained at the beginning quite open and sparse and then moving into sort of an irony that being solitary you'd think just maybe one line or one idea but thinking of flocks of birds and and them sort of swarming over one another and these waves of sounds and that was actually written quite strictly um but there are obviously loads of ways you could do that in other core pieces of mine I've I've just said, you know, here's a little idea, let's riff on that or let's repeat that until, you know, ad nauseum, or or stop until we want to change the sound and introduce a different harmony. Um but yeah, interestingly with 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 without um it was all quite strictly notated.
1: Well, I think that the piece is a triumph and um, you know, oh. congratulations and I hope it gets performed. In lots of other places, in fact, all the works on here, I'm not quite sure why they're not already part of <laughs> part part of you know what the proms do every year. I, I find it very odd that there's so much mm-hmm. um, amazingly listenable contemporary music uh, mm. that that just never makes it into the proms, and then instead we're saddled with. Um, Stuff that people have been listening to for 200 or 150 years. I just find it odd.
0: Oh, I really appreciate it, Max. Especially, you know, coming from someone like yourself, facet legend. And I mean, yeah, I, we've had such a blast writing these pieces and made sure as well that they're works that um, work for for singers. That they work for the performers that we were working with and worked really closely with them. Um, so, yeah, so let's fingers crossed that they will be performed. This this work actually, Morals and Interludes, thankfully, uh, it's been picked up by Steiner and Bell. So hopefully as well that will give it some wings as well to fly a little bit and uh, and give the opportunity for other choirs across the world to pick
1: it up. Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, it, it will be good, I mean, given that people um, people do love choirs and... Uh, programme makers love making programmes about choirs and so <laughs> there's absolutely no reason why all this music shouldn't shouldn't feature. But I, I do think that, you know, that's one of the things about um, the contemporary classical music scene. It is overshadowed by the classical music scene and the funding comes from the same place. Mm. And I don't know, but funders ought to say well look we want to get kind of more bang for our buck so we're we're paying people or you know we're funding people to write things now we want that stuff performed hmm. um and i think it would change the ears of the nation and nations across the world actually if if yeah. there was something like that i mean you know uh there is so, like, Classic FM doesn't even play chamber music. <laughs> so never mind, you know, it doesn't play piano, Chopin mm. piano solo works. It. Mm. So, I mean, I, h- how we expect them ever to play some of this music, I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, I, I mean, perhaps when, I mean, what we're going to... At the moment, uh, across the world, is, is horrific on all sorts of levels, you know, the climate crisis and and also the pandemic. But maybe one I, I small, thought, just still... a
1: moment, Nathan, I thought that yeah. what you were going to say there, I thought you were going to put on, uh, you know, the atrocity of some radio stations. Oh, on, no, no, no. On, I thought you were going to say <laughs> that that is just as serious a problem. Well, maybe it is. <laughs>
0: Maybe, Maybe. I mean, I would never, I would <laughs> never, Max, come on. <laughs> but no, I think, I think you know, one silver lining coming from this is, is that we're going to have to look more local in terms of our performing possibilities and think smaller and more intimate in terms of the music that we are creating. So perhaps there is a time in the near future where chamber music, solo music, uh, you know, a person on a piano in a room and... And singers, you know, without with their instruments, having to carry instruments across, you know, this, across borders and across uh, across counties, even in your own country, and um, to come together and create music. I think there, there, there could be there could be a movement to to see to see smaller music making happen and, and more intimate music making happen, and that could be a bonus really for chamber musicians, solo players, performers, and and choirs as well.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean. Um... A lot of the buildings of concert halls have huge um, lobbies and huge staircases and uh, mm. i mean I, I was I saw a a concert in iceland where uh, in uh, in Reykjavik where mm. they used the staircase like three story staircase to perform a piece of work and you could walk up and down the staircase and um sort of be close to the different sections of the orchestra. Um mm. now I don't know whether you can be close to anything at the moment, but I mean <laughs> you, there's plenty of space on staircases um, and and in the <laughs> halls and and maybe that's now a much better option than those um that those you know beautifully uh, mm. acoustic um concert halls but with chairs much too close together, or maybe they'll reorganise the chairs. I don't know that theatre has to come to the same judgement, and I guess cinema does too, but I'm sure it's, you know, having thought up how to make images move on the screen, I'm sure it's not beyond us to uh, work out, you know, different spaces that that can accommodate us. So it's just a question of doing it, I think.
0: Mm. Yeah, we've all had to be inventive in all sorts of ways right, to create music and keep music alive. So, yeah, God, let's start performing in, yeah, staircases. I mean, sometimes they're better acoustically than some of the concert halls,
1: so... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, according to Simon Rattle, particularly in this country. <laughs> oh, so... God, gotcha, I can't
0: even talk about that news.
1: <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, it's been brilliant talking to you and, indeed, to all your colleagues. It's It's just... A beautiful album and uh, I think that people ought to get hold of it and, um, and play it because it's kind of, it's like popular music. It may be deemed contemporary classical but it just feels there's so much melody and there's so much to fasten on to lyrically right across uh, you know, all the tracks. Um, I mean, I find it a dazzling record.
0: I uh, really appreciate it, Max, and, and, yeah, thanks for shining a light
1: on it. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. OK, well, um, I'm afraid now uh, we have to go. Um, and I think probably um, the only way of uh, leaving a discussion like that uh, is with a tune like this. Um, this is called Disco Purge, and if I had to say what kind of genre it was, it's kind of post-punk